Welcome to Oxpods, the podcast by students and their professors at the University of Oxford. Paul Gauguin and his artwork has been a subject of intense interest and controversy over the years, and this episode will seek to uncover how colour development during the Industrial Revolution facilitated his portrayal of the Caribbean environment. I'm Mia Thwaites, a history finalist at St John's College, and I'll be talking to Helena Erikstrup, a DPhil student at St John's, whose research in Martinique has explored Gauguin's use of colour in his portrayals of the Caribbean. Hi Helena, um, thank you so much for coming on to Oxpods. Thank you so much for having me. So, to start with, um, I wonder if you can give us a brief description of your research looking at art history and the Caribbean. Yes, of course. So I am a third year DPhil student uh, in history of art here at Oxford. And sort of my research takes a starting point in thinking about colour as a scientific invention, as a pigment that was used by artists, Mm. as a racial marker, and as something that we see and something that we experience. So that's sort of the baseline of my research. And then I'm thinking about these different forms of colour, particularly in terms of uh, the 19th century, when we had the big sort of what we call the Chroma Revolution. So when colour started to change. Um, and I'm thinking about that uh, particularly in uh, Martinique in the French Caribbean. Mm. Um, so I'm really thinking about how diff- these different forms of color played out in Martinique. So color at this time, you know, or Martinique was very much a space that authors and artist travelers has written about and, you know, really they really written about the bright colors of the space. So in some sense, the research is very much following that tradition. So really thinking about, you know, these bright colors and how people have thought about these bright colors. But at the same time, what my research is really about is thinking about where this come from and why this was the case and what was the role of color and co- the color revolution. Yeah. And in that way, I'm in order to do this, I'm thinking about artists such as Paul Gauguin, and I'm thinking about other French uh, military men who went to Martinique and had similar response. So someone like Victor Fulcunis and Jean-Francois Lacour. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's a really interesting kind of colonial angle as well when you're looking in kind of those yeah, figures. exactly. And I'm sort of trying to think about how we can think about the materiality or the physicality of mm. empire so really yeah. in terms of well how was the empire portrayed but also what was the empire made up of how was how did color you know how did that move around the empire and how did that help construct the empire and our idea of empire in yeah some sense? yeah of course because it's a literal vision of it isn't it yeah exactly and the color revolution helped create that yeah. vision. Amazing, amazing. Okay, so I'd love to hear more about your research, particularly on color in the Industrial Revolution. So kind of looking at what exactly happened to color in the period um, and what the impact would have been like on the lives of artists and society as a whole. Yeah, so often we think of, you know, the Industrial Revolution as something that's very gray, something that's mm. very dark, smoky. But actually what happened in the Industrial Revolution as well was that we had this big color revolution where suddenly color 
was no longer made from plants or insects as it used to be, so organic mm. material. Instead, um, the first aniline dye was created in the laboratory. Yeah. And that meant that suddenly color was no longer produced of organic material, but instead synthetic material. And that opened up like a world of possibilities in terms of what color was available. So suddenly, you know, and this was in the second half of the 19th century. Yeah. So we have to imagine that before this revolution, you didn't have very bright colors necessarily. So suddenly this whole spectrum, this whole palette of colors would be available that wasn't before. Mm. And for example, Queen Victoria is known for wearing this deep purple in a cold, cold mauve dress at the Universal uh, Exposition. And, you know, that created a mania because you'd never seen that kind of purple before. That's amazing. So we really have to think about how these different colors also changed the way we saw things, how things were seen, how they were experienced and how suddenly artists could also portray different kind of things and how also this this then led to that suddenly these new colors could also help portray the empire. Yeah, so it, it changed it's, I think it's really hard to imagine today because we live in such a, you know, with so many colors available. Yeah, everything's so bright. <laughs> yeah, everything is so bright. But really, it wasn't until the Chroma Revolution, which is really interesting, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. I love this idea that kind of nature is only um, properly portrayed or can only be fully portrayed in this period. But it, it's using something artificial, right? It's using something like the paints are now yeah. not being made from nature, but they're being used in a way that's allowing people to access it a lot more visually. Exactly. And it's that sort of tension that we have to think about is that actually also with, as we'll talk about later, but the artists like Gauguin, you know, they used, they used these new synthetic material to maybe go even more primitive, in quotation marks. Yeah. You know, they use these new material to be even closer to nature, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas is that sort of tension that's really interesting, I think. That's fascinating. Okay, so um, if we look a bit more towards Paul Gauguin, yeah. um, can you tell us a bit more about his life and his work as an artist um, and kind of how he benefited from this colour revolution, if you like? Yeah, so Paul Gauguin really, you know, became an artist... Um, so he was born in 1848, mm -hmm. you know, so he really grew up post this Chroma revolution and that's when he became an artist. And so he's a, he was a French artist who was born in, yeah, 40, 1848. Perfect. And I think, um, you know, he's been the subject of a number of like blockbuster exhibitions. Like he's quite mm. a well-known name, probably. Yeah, a bit notorious. A bit notorious, exactly. Early in his career... He worked with the other French artist called Camille Pissarro. Mm -hmm. And they sort of, who is normally known as the father of Impressionism. Yeah. So that was sort of the early inspirations for Paul Gauguin. But then later in his career, he started developing a style called Synthesism in Br Brittany, which is probably the style that he's most well known for when you sort of recognize his images, like bold color. Yeah very and like bold outlines around the colors and he was trying to make the synthesis of like big ideas and the impressions of color and things like that yeah so he developed a style of synthesism and then already then these images are very much like the idyllic peasant life 
And I think the images that he's probably most well known for is his images of Tahiti, uh, where he went in 1891. And the images that I focus on in my research is from his time in Martinique. That was a yeah. French colony at the time. Um, and he went there in 1887. Um, but yeah, as you said, you know, Paul Gauguin is today a, a very controversial figure. And I think since the sort of 1970s, with when feminism entered art history as well, where there were lots of different feminists who sort of, you know, try to demystify Paul Gauguin as this male hero, this male artist. Yeah, like the enigma. <laughs> exactly. And today, you know, he's also known for his misogyny, mm, yeah. his sexual exploitation of young girls. Mm. Um, and his, you know, appropriation of different colors. And that is part of his legacy, and that's part of the story that we have to tell when we think about Gauguin. And lots of his art historians have always, has also thought about, well, can he even be redeemed? If we focus a bit more on, like, Paul Gauguin's artwork, Mm -hmm. um, can we look at kind of what kind of work he produced while in Martinique, um, and what in particular was notable about it, particularly in terms of this kind of context that you've just set out of... um, this character that is slightly controversial and how we can kind of factor that into his work as well. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we have to think about Gauguin going to Martinique as, you know, he could go to Martinique at this time because of the colonial roots that was already established. So the infrastructure was there for him to go, you know, he had the he didn't have a lot of money but he had the money he had the privilege to be able to go yeah so, so it's like facilitated through. It, it's facilitated his journey there mm-hmm. should i say a bit of background of, of how he went got there yeah of course okay so well he went with his friend and fellow artist charles laval mm-hmm. and you know they were they wanted to they wanted to experience the tropics that's why they went and originally, they actually wanted to go to Panama. Okay. But because the, the construction of the Panama Canal had sort of destroyed this unspoiled paradise that they were looking for, yeah. they actually, and they couldn't get any work, so they actually ended up instead going to Martinique. Okay. And they were there for four months. And um, so they actually, you know, they went there to experience the tropics, but at the same time, the infrastructure, the fact that it was a French colony, meant that they also were able to go there. I know what you mean. And I think I think this idea is really interesting of them kind of just wanting to go somewhere that yeah. was tropical. Um, I think something that's quite interesting to consider is always kind of whether they come with sort of predetermined ideas about it, right? Yeah. And whether the work reflects what they actually see there or whether it's their kind of european yeah notion of it right and i think that's also part of it right because why they wanted to go to the tropic as well is because they hoped that that would be a subject matter that they could sell in mainland france when they came back yeah of course so it is something you know they were also seeking this out because they knew that that might be something that they could earn money on yeah so they're like manufacturing this trope yeah because it was not the works were never meant to stay in martinique right yeah. They were meant to be sold in mainland France. Of course. That's so um, interesting. So they stayed at a hut on a plantation in Martinique. They stayed mm-hmm. close to 
the town of Saint-Pierre, which was sort of called the Paris of the Antilles at this time. Okay. So quite a bustling city, but they decided specifically that they wanted to stay in a hut, which mm-hmm. is, of course, awful in a, lots of ways. Yeah, they're trying to get like the authentic so experience it, or yeah, something horrible. Exactly. And we have to think about at this time, even though slavery ended on the island at 1848, you know, lots of the population was still forced to work on plantation. Mm. They were still living under terrible conditions. Yeah. And Gauguin and Laval is very much appropriating, wanting to somehow be a part of this for the sake of their artistic language. Yeah, but also from a very kind of superior and separated viewpoint. (laughs) Because there's a real tension there, right? That they, at one hand want to be savage yeah in quotation marks they they want they want to have the experience of the primitive mm-hmm. like living in a hut but at the same time they have the privilege of being european being able to go there being able to go home when they want to after they got ill but also having the privilege not having to work in the plantation themselves so there is this constant sort of tension where Gauguin particularly is trying to be savage but at the same time he's not and that we can also see as we talked about earlier in his use of synthetic colors so we knew know that on his trip to Martinique he brought his own colors so his yeah. own palette of colors his own synthetic colors yeah. So in this way that he uses artificial material to portray this vision of the primitive that he has. And I think that sort of sense of when the materiality of a painting and the subject matter, there is some sort of... It's not that they clash, but there is something there that's interesting, I guess. Yeah, the interplay is... Is really the interplay and you know how these synthetic colors also made it possible to paint the empire. So there's a historian called Joanna Balkin and she talks about the imperial palette, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. So not only about how lots of the colors on the palette, of course, were made in plantations of the empire, yeah. particularly the British Empire, but also the French Empire. Um but also how the color revolution made it possible for the colors to travel with the artist, you know? So suddenly, Mm -hmm. you know, the artists were no longer confined to the studio, but they could bring the colors around with them, just like Ogan did. But also that these brilliant colors suddenly made it possible to paint that experience of the bright green. Yeah. Or to paint that experience of a particular skin color or a particular color of the sea or something. Yeah. So I love this idea. So so within the kind of this color revolution, the mm. actual paints that are being produced, do they contain kind of resources from the colonies in the paints? Yeah. So so that was a part of what changed as well was that color used to be, you know, produced in the colonies on the plantations. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in Martinique, we had, um, and in Saint-Dominique, which is now Haiti, there was big plantations of indigo. So this sort of blue paint. Yeah, yeah. 
But of course, and that was still very much going on, but after the synthetic revolution, that was no longer needed because suddenly, you know, color could just be produced in the laboratory, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like more isolated, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, so, so in a sense, the plantations were no longer needed, but the new colors made it more possible to paint the empire. Yeah, yeah, so it's a very, yeah, I get what you mean, so it's like a very complex relationship there. Yeah, it is, exactly. Amazing, so if we look kind of slightly more at the paintings that Gauguin's producing, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it'd be great to know kind of how that reflected these kind of colonial networks that we've kind of outlined there. Yeah, so um, there's an art historian called Tamara Garb, and she called his paintings of Martinique these dream spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really poignant because they very much depict a very mythic setting that's sort of made up in Gauguin's imagination, right? Yeah. And they are sort of, they look beyond time and place in some sense. They're sort yeah. of out of time. And he uses these very bulk colors, very full figures, so like large figures. Yeah. And, um, and is very much like, you know, an imposing landscape. And it's very much like, it's very, I find them very confronting. I feel like they are sort of, they're very, you know, they're very sensory, if that makes yeah. sense. And that is especially through his bright colors. Um, and he shows this very lush vegetation and they are very much confirming the French idea of the Caribbean. So he often, in the big landscape, he often, or like many other artists, Gauguin is obsessed with the black female figure. And he continuously sketch and draw and paint the black figure, particularly the female, when they are washing clothes in the river or when they are carrying fruits mm-hmm. um on the road um and this obsession is is you know really interesting because in that sense Gauguin is is very much contrib- contributing to creating racial stereotypes yeah of course through the images no so in a sense in his paintings Paul Gauguin always shows the black female figure but he never yeah. shows the white man that is necessarily present in these images as well. Yeah, of course. So instead, the artist here becomes the all-seeing, the all-doing, and the all-making, as the historian Marie-Louise Pratt says, but, but he's not showing that. Instead, he is portraying the black women in that sense in a very stereotypical uh, degrading way that yeah. contributes to keeping up and inscribing these stereotypes yeah and it's almost kind of um, like you say the fact that it's not it's not clear that he's present it's kind of like he's assuming this very neutral and maybe even almost scientific lens exactly um, yeah it's exactly. kind of truth yeah exactly and he's not showing the presence of the white friends man yeah who was there yeah. And who was making these visions, right? Yeah. Instead, as you said, it seems like it's just something appearing. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So the construction of these stereotypes are actually washed away. Um, so I'd be really interested to hear about kind of what extent you think Gauguin and similar figures created a set stereotype of the Caribbean and kind of whether sort of what the significant features are of this stereotype and if there are any identifiable tropes within the works that they're producing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they definitely created stereotypes. Um, and I think, you know, and it, it's very powerful stereotypes as well. I think mm. we often think of paintings as, you know, maybe not, or maybe not having a big powerful value or having an impact but I actually think you know art paintings do and especially works like Gauguin's and you know we have to think about that the Caribbean the Caribbean was a space where Europeans you know killed exploited you know enslaved people like yeah. it was you know but we have to think about how artists like Gauguin try to smooth over that through their mm. artworks so we don't see any violence we see workers who looks like they're happy at work yeah and that stereotype is part of trying to legitimize and support the european empire and that is exactly the kind of topic that the metropole parisian audience want to see yeah, of course. They I mean, want... they're staying in the huts on the plantation, yeah. but they're still trying to portray it as if... It's, it's yeah, as it's... peaceful, right? And so I think those stereotypes, even though that Gauguin was, you know, he was not a very popular artist, his works were not, you know, they didn't sell well. Vincent okay. Van Gogh's uh, brother, Theo, saw the images. He was an art dealer and he tried to make them sell and he was like, this is amazing. Yeah. We need to sell these. But we have to think about how the paintings also continue to contribute to that stereotype today. So it's re I think work like this is really important in terms of for us to try to understand how racial stereotypes, how they come about and how they were understood through art but also something like, you know, science, technology, travel, and how they were very much, how it is something that is constructed and created through, through these sort of things. Amazing, amazing. Okay, well, thank you so much, Helena, for coming on to Oxpods, um, and hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oxpods. If you enjoyed it, please do recommend to a friend and check out our episodes from other channels too. To keep up to date with episode releases, to suggest ideas for new episodes, or to get involved with recording, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or go straight to our website at www.oxpods.co.uk.